0: Hello, and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. We're back with episode six of series two. And once again, I'm joined by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Uh, before we go any further, and Chris doesn't know I'm going to do this, uh, but I wanted to say a huge thanks to everyone who's been listening. Making these podcasts has been a real lifeline for me during this lockdown. And the fact that you guys are all listening means that we can keep doing it. Uh, so the cringeworthy bit's out the way. Chris, we do just need to update people on uh, what's happening because we gave them the wrong information in the last episode.
1: George, I can't I can't carry on without replying to that. I can't agree more with you. Uh, we're stuck at home and, you know, there's, it's been tricky. And I think the January one's been tricky for us shooters more than anything because it's ended the season early. So here, here, here's to that. And uh, thank you to everyone obviously who's listening. Yes, we did. We've uh, Last time we told you that Ben Randall would be joining us, but we've made a little shift around with the order got on the phone and the reason for that is that um, Ben's got something really exciting coming Uh, and we said right hold fire we'll delay it a couple of weeks then he can tell you all about it so that's going to come up next time Uh, but this one we've uh, we've pulled through the order and I'm delighted to say this is our pigeon shot episode so we we have with us today the author of the pigeon shooters diary which we'll come back to in a bit uh, a contributor to shooting times often seen on the front cover master pigeon shot expert gun fitter and dance floor superstar it's tom Payne. hey boys how you doing all good mate how are you all right i'm pleased i'm
2: second best to ben <laughs> Oh, no, no, you've, you've been promoted up the order. He's
1: going to be very disappointed.
2: <laughs> do, you,
1: do you want to respond to my uh, dance floor superstar comment?
2: I'll get to that bit. There's <laughs> <It was> one <laughs> hell of a dance off that. <laughs> well, I think in
0: order that we can get there and put it in context, I've got to ask you straight away, Tom, what's that you're drinking?
2: So I'm actually drinking uh, Hooky Gold, Hook Norton Brewery. Uh, the reason I'm drinking it, they're really good supporters of the Game Fair. One of my favourite places. It's like Glastonbury to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I've gone for Hookie gold. James Clark and Serena Williams, big shooting people. The brewery itself, massive field sports fans. Obviously, they support the, um, the game fair hugely. Drinking hooky gold just reminds me of, there was, and there's a few game fair stories, but myself, Crofty and Marcus uh, Jansen, we're heading off to the field party. And we'd all decided that we'd go a bit sensible. And halfway through that day, do you guys remember when Rob came out with those stuffed tarmigan and grouse things from Churchill?
1: Rob Fennett, EJ, yes, yeah. the, uh, the the teddy
2: grouse, yeah, yeah. The teddy grouse things. Well, we acquired a few of these anyway. So we we got into the um into the pub and had a few hooky golds, and it was all getting uh, quite good fun. These grouse uh, fluffy toys suddenly became rugby balls <laughs> after a few beers we then thought it'd be really good let's start doing line outs and obviously we've got Crofty with us former England and uh, Lions um, Tom Croft this mm, is for everyone's benefit <laughs> um, uh, yep former podcast guest um, yeah indeed yeah yeah so we've got Cro- so Crofty's with us and anyway so we started uh, started the line out. and I think Frank was lifting well he was attempting to lift at the front but Crofty was well he started lifting but he lifted me so high he chucked me into the top of the top of the, the pub the canopy and the, i remember it well <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> into the roof of the marquee
2: yeah, yeah 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 i was I was sort of just hanging there and um at what point you know it was all quite good fun and then security came over but crofty being crofty and you know he's a fairly strong fella forgot i was up there and proceeded in having a health and safety meeting with security while i was still stuck up there holding on to the grouse really happily didn't spill a drop with pint in hand so
1: yeah hooky goal.
2: <laughs> brilliant Good man. And then, obviously, Marcus was—you know—he's—he's a bit—he's a bit soft, so he was quivering in the corner, not wanting to join in. God,
1: he's gonna love—he's gonna love responding to you on that one, isn't he? Yeah, he's gonna get me there. So, so the reason I called you a dance floor superstar is—I think it was a different year. I can't remember. No, no, it it was—it was
2: the the next day. That was. Was it the next day? Because that was at Ragley, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it was Ragley because we all camped there. So it it was—it was—it was the next day.
1: Yeah, so we uh, we hosted one of our, I think somewhat legendary guns on pegs parties now, where uh, they're, they're kind of for exhibitors, they're for our clients uh, towards the end of the evening, on a Saturday night, uh, and <laughs> the the party was in full swing, and then Tom here just starts dancing, clears the place, and a friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, started recording this on her phone, put it on Instagram on the Sunday. Monday evening, I happened to be looking through Instagram, and this thing came up. You know the search page; it's like suggested videos. This thing had had seventy thousand views on Instagram of Tom dancing <laughs> in the <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Anyway, it was hilarious. That was quite good fun. That was it was a
2: Chinese chap in a leather jacket, wasn't it?
1: Well, y- yes, indeed. I it was just brilliant. Anyway, if you type it on Instagram, game fair dancing or something like that, I'm sure it will come up. But um George, what are you drinking? Well, I've been looking
0: forward to this, actually, because I remembered over Christmas that a mate of mine, who's also a very keen shot, bought a pub last year, which was obviously not brilliant timing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's quite a well-known pub in Hampshire, and uh, it's particularly well-known for its microbrewery, which it's had since before microbrewing was cool. And they, they used to win a lot of awards at the sort of beer festivals and what have you. So I thought I'd try and support them a bit and I bought a mixed case of their beers and it arrived the day after our previous podcast recording and it's been all I can do to hold a couple of bottles back for for this episode. The, the pub is called The Flower Pots in Cheriton and I'm drinking Cheriton Porter at the moment which is very, very nice. Quite sweet, sort of bit of a coffee tone to it, very nice. And then for after that I've also got Gooden's Gold. It's a golden ale. So yeah, I've been I've been really struggling. They've been sitting out on the balcony looking at me for a fortnight, and I've had to <laughs> really exercise some self control. But um, it comes highly recommended. Check them out. Order yourself a, uh, a case. They do mixed cases, and they've got about eight or nine different beers to choose from. And uh, yeah, very highly recommended. Flowerpots Brewery. So yeah, Chris, what have you got?
1: So. It's actually quite tricky coming up with drinks for each of these episodes because we've done quite a lot of them now. So we're, we're really sort of pushing boundaries and trying to find different drinks. And partly because of lockdown, I don't really go out much. So I have, to, I have to venture back to the drinks cupboard and see what I find. I've pulled out an absolute perfect one for this week's episode. And I did not know it was in there. Um, I have got uh, a gin and tonic. I usually go for a beer. I've got a gin and tonic. And I've got a Martin Miller's gin and tonic. And the Martin Miller's gin I have was from a little miniature that we got from our GWCT bull that we shared the table at, Tom. Do you remember? And they gave out the little Martin they gave out the little Martin Miller's gins. And I took a load home at the end of the night, obviously drunk, don't remember it. <laughs> I found one in the back of the cupboard and I thought, oh, you beauty, that is the perfect drink for the podcast with Tom. So uh, the GWC pool, which feels like a world gone by. I mean, like, God, can we? Remember? It'd be, how fun would it be when we do that again? But... Is, is that when I was dressed up as a pirate on stage with a plastic guitar? How do I not remember this? Probably because you were filling your pockets with stolen gin. Yeah. It, it wasn't <laughs> stolen. It was, uh, it was Martin Miller's kind sponsorship of the, the GWCT. Just robbing the place. <laughs> so I've got a lovely gin and tonic. So yeah, all very good. Right, chaps. We've got uh,
0: important decisions to make. This is the section called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? Which is where we ask our uh, dear listeners to send us in their shooting dilemmas. And this one comes from somebody we're calling Fred. And he has written, I've been helping on my local syndicate for the last two years, and I've been beating there since I was 15. I'm now 23, and I've been a full gun for the last three years. On the shoot, there are three of us that have been doing most of the work, as we don't have a full-time keeper. We've been working really hard, and we're all really proud of how things turned out, despite all the challenges of this season. After some great days, the three of us were rewarded with some duck flights on the two ponds we have on the shoot. On the weekend that I got the call to go on the flight, I was on a two-hour drive to my other half's house so I couldn't go. I was gutted, but then an hour later I was asked if I could get off work on Monday to go on a morning flight on some geese and then hang around the duck ponds till everything went quiet at lunchtime. Without thinking, I said yes, but now had to figure out how to get out of work. Now, I'm lucky enough to work with my dad, but as he was city born and bred and doesn't really shoot, I knew he wouldn't understand why I wanted the morning off. So I came up with a cunning plan. I had a meeting with a customer in the afternoon, so I would say I'd be out in the morning as well to meet a supplier in the same area, killing two birds with one stone, if you'll pardon the pun. My dad accepted the idea as a good plan and the game was afoot. So the next day came and the plan went off without a hitch, with me rushing out in the morning, having a great morning in the hide, then having a quick wardrobe change before going to see the customer. Monday night came round and I was in the clear and feeling good after a productive day, or so I thought. I later learned that I'd made the rookie mistake of being seen in the background of a friend's Instagram story. Now, my dad, being a million years old, doesn't have Instagram, but my younger brother does. He sent me a screenshot of myself in the background of the story with the caption, so how was the supplier meeting? I now knew he had a cunning plan of his own. I'm being threatened with exposure unless I let my brother shoot the next day. Do I let my brother shoot or do I own up to my dad stroke boss and take the hit but feel good knowing that my brother will not have won and will not be enjoying my shooting?
1: (laughs) He's in trouble, isn't he?
0: Tom, what would you do?
1: Well, how big's the pond?
0: (laughs) That's what I'd be thinking. Well, obviously enough that they they had a pretty good time. Well, I mean, if the pond's big enough, the two of
2: them could shoot at the same time.
1: It doesn't sound like that. That's an option. I, I I think that because of the way the syndicates run, there's one gun, and uh, he's gonna. It's either him or his brother. I think that's why he's so vexed and felt emailing us.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. I think you're right. Personally, I think that that to 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 cave to his brother would probably set a dangerous precedent. In that he could probably then continue to use that blackmailing technique until such time as the story comes out anyway. You're probably better off just to take the hit now. I don't know. What What do you think?
1: Oh, Tom, go on. Yeah, well, uh, after the
2: season we've just had, I I, I wouldn't give anything away. i will just go and shoot. <laughs> <laughs> this,
1: this is the thing, isn't it? He's going he's gonna to be giving away a day at the start of next season when where we're all pent up and he'll be wanting to get out like there's no tomorrow. And he's going to regret it even more when that comes around. So I think he needs to think ahead a little bit and think about, what a bad decision that would be. So I think I think he's got to take his brother on. Surely he can dig up some dirt on his brother and hold that against him. Basically, get a, get on the scout because uh, you do not want to be letting him win this argument because it's going to come back to haunt him.
0: It never turn down a day shooting. Yeah, <laughs> very good point. And I've also just remembered that this is his younger brother.
2: We'll give him a good kicking then.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> I, I'm not sure guns on pace can be seen to be uh, endorsing violence, but um I'm sure that there is something that can be done there as far as younger brothers are concerned, and I speak as the eldest of three brothers,
1: <laughs> at least one of whom could very easily beat me up. <laughs> right, so, so so we're telling him, Hold firm, risk the wrath of his dad, uh yeah. and just make sure that his brother doesn't win. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And shoot straight. Yeah yeah exactly right
0: got to be worthwhile isn't it
1: so he has he has to follow up with us we need to be knowing how we need to know how this is going to go
0: yeah so there you go fred there's your answer go shooting um and uh, a pair of the very exclusive guns on pegs podcast shooting sock garters will be uh in the post to you to wear on your next day um nice for you um tom we'll we'll be sending
1: some to you as well can't wait Um, so we'll look forward to seeing those on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're going to be the privileged owner of a pair of these incredible garters. Uh, but we want your confessions. And obviously, if you send in a message uh, like our uh, Fred uh, sent in, something that, that we can air, then you will get a pair of the most exclusive uh, garters in shooting. Uh, simply email pod at GunsonPegs.com. Uh, and we've had another contender. Uh, go on, Tom. What, what, what is it you want to add in? I'd
2: rather be on one of your films, you know, with everybody...
1: <laughs> you're very welcome to be on the next film we do, Tom. You just got to sort the day out for it. It's just very dreamy. <laughs> dreamy. It, it, it was. We've had another contender for spreading the pod far and wide. Uh, so th- this is another thing you can do to to win a pair of these garters. Just simply tell us who you're sharing it with. How far you've extended the listening. Uh, the, the the listeners to the, the, the Guns on Pegs podcast. Um, this message uh, says this. It says, Hello, I've been enjoying your great podcast while driving to work and cooking dinner in Chicago. Please keep up the good work. It's fun, informative, and fast becoming my favourite podcast. Even ahead of Joe Rogan. Regards, Nick. So <laughs> that last bit blew me away slightly. Uh, I'm sure he's joking, but uh, can I just clarify... Joe Rogan was paid 82 million quid by Spotify for exclusivity. So that is high praise indeed. Uh, Spotify, if you're listening, our email is pod at gunsonpegs.com. And uh, I suppose we'll do your deal with some garters in return.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And before we move on uh, to the sort of the proper pigeon chat that we've got lined up, we've also had a nice message from uh, Jack Bryant, who emailed us very early in the morning he heard the uh, sporting agent episode when Chris, you were drinking old Rosie cider and he got in touch to say that he's also a fan of old Rosie to the extent that he's named his baby daughter, Rosie in its honor. Um, (laughs) So as a relatively new father myself for, um, well played, sir. That is top naming skills.
2: George, you could go scrumpy and Jack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got uh, we've got Cassie and Otis, and i managed to slip Otis Brown under the radar. And I think that Otis Brown sounds like a West Indian fast bowler from the nineteen eighties.
1: He does about it. <laughs> um, so, Tom, we're here to talk about pigeon shooting. Uh, we're we've we've got quite far in and we haven't even really mentioned it but uh, that but that therein lies the beauty of shooting and actually most of the time we spend together is uh we're not talking about shooting at all really but uh we have been seen in the pigeon hide um so what we really want to know uh kick this thing off i mean obviously you've got a huge amount of knowledge you've even written a book on the subject uh which which we're keen to keen to get a bit, bit of an insight in but i think the best place to probably start is is give us kick us off with your top tips so I'm thinking for part timers. I mean, most of us out here, we occasionally go, we're lucky enough occasionally to go pigeon shooting. What are the key things that you think the average Joe needs to know or the things that they should remember?
2: It, I mean, it's really difficult. And I, I, I do feel for a lot of guys who, <clears throat> do shoot pigeons because obviously they're working during the week and then their weekends are their only chance to go out. So by hook or by crook they're going to be shooting on a Saturday or a Sunday. The problem is the conditions might not be right. Um, The chance of doing reconnaissance is, you know, it really is difficult for um, the part-time pigeon shooter. From a professional point of view you wouldn't do it You know, just going out for the sake of it. But, you know, for 99% of people, they want to get out at the weekend and have a shot. And I I completely understand that. So it's really difficult. And that's probably the reason why, you know, a lot of people will have the talent as pigeon shooters. um, But it's actually having the time. A lot of it is the time to actually put in everything that you need. To get to that point of maximizing the situation that you're in
1: so by that do you mean reconnaissance basically yeah, I
2: mean your reconnaissance is everything i mean you'd always say one day's shoot you know one day's reconnaissance, one day 's shooting as you become uh, the word expert i can 't stand the word. I just think you know there is no such thing as an expert. I just know a little bit more than other people because I have the opportunity to to be out and about doing it mm. doing a bit more um but yeah, you've 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 got to be out watching and seeing what's going on. But it's not just reconnaissance. You know, one day you might see a situation that was, that's looking great, but the conditions the next day may not be correct to shoot it or right to shoot it. You know, you've got to be fairly disciplined when you when, when you pick and choose uh, when you want to go. You know, it's it, it's not easy, and I th- I think that's why a lot of people really struggle with regards to. I mean, I think it was a, it was a stat taken a few years back that the national average bag size is twelve. So. <laughs> You know, it's not.
0: That's about eleven. It's about eleven more than my average. i <laughs> to say it's about twice as many as I normally manage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, I do think it is because you know, guys don't have the time to put into it, and they're going to go regardless because they want to get out. It's their hobby. It's it's what they love doing. You know, they'd rather be sitting in a pigeon hide uh, in poor conditions um, than not. You know,
0: Tom, in that situation where you've you're destined, you want to go out, and you've decided you're going out, you've managed to get the day clear you're going to go no matter what what can people do on that day to make sure that they have
2: the best possible chance best possible chance of the conditions for that time of year because it's not the same all the time people worry too much about bag sizes as opposed to maximizing a situation so wherever i go you're trying to maximize the situation that's in front of you if you do that you've achieved your goal you know you, you've done a good job you know it it Anybody can go and shoot 100 pigeons if you've got thousands and thousands of pigeons in the right conditions. Not everybody can go and shoot 10 pigeons when you've only got 35, say, going to a, a watering um, mm. tank during the during the summer. You know, so the the skill of the pigeon shooter isn't um, isn't down to the bag size. It's down to the situation that they've actually achieved. So, you know, they may not be. I would take winter for example. So, they may not be. They may be tricky to. Decoy over a winter crop but how are you going to maximize what you're going to do is it better to maybe flight them to feed is it possibly better to uh roost them late evening or have a a sort of afternoon flight stroke roost you know you you you, you know at the end of the day it's crop protection you're trying to manage the number of birds uh, that are damaging a crop how are you best going to do that and it's not always sitting in a hide with a magnet out Putting your hair out, you know. There are other ways of.
0: And I guess picking the right tactics for the right day, ta- the right day, the right time of year. It's it's like salmon fishing in that regard. You know, one day a fly might work, a week later it might not. And yeah. similarly, you you know, if you're out um, decoying one week or you know one month, that same spot might uh, might not be the right thing to be doing. It might you might be as you say better off going and roost shooting or uh, or flighting them and, and picking that right tactic for that right day is is the key do you think
2: yeah absolutely i mean if so if you know we take any month i look at a field you see birds feeding for example i'm very aware of weather conditions wind conditions various options because you can't because things can change you know you you can go from a certain mile per hour wind and direction it could suddenly swing on you It could swing on you during the day that can completely change the whole situation so you have to have that armory in your bag but whenever I'm shooting, I'm constantly thinking about how am I, you know, I would say the word again, how am I going to maximise? How am I going to really get in to make sure that I make the most of this day, this afternoon, for the for the, you know for the benefit of the farmer, benefit of the landowner, um, and obviously for, and obviously for yourself because obviously you, you know you want to you want to you know plenty of shooting or some shooting that that is is possibly there. It's it's yeah it's it's it, it's 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 a real it's a real tricky one because. There are no hard, fast written rules. You know, every, count, every birds are very different in certain counties. You know, for example, with regards to mechanics, everybody is obsessed with magnets and flappers and things like that, which are great in certain locations. Um, it's really odd. It, over the years, I realized that certain counties, if the standard of pigeon shooter is very good, the mechanics continue to work because birds are being killed over the You know they're being killed over the top of mechanics, so they you're not educating birds. If you go to a county, Essex, perfect example is a really heavily shot, heavily shot county. Everybody's out chasing them. You know, nine times out of ten, I'll be using just classic dead birds in cradles. You know, and you've got to go in with an open mind, with a with a battle plan, but an open mind on the situation. You can't be stubborn about
1: it. I want to ask about hide setup. Um because I mean again I'm I don't do this enough. Uh I just <laughs> I just follow you and you do it and you just tell me where to put the things. Not, uh, not, but, not, uh, not
2: after last time. Tell them how many <laughs> what was your
1: bag, Christopher? How many shots? Uh <laughs> shot wise uh, we don't talk about shots. We just, <laughs> <laughs> uh I thought I thought we had quite a good day. It was a very yeah. it was a
2: very good day. I think you shot seventy seventy seven something like that.
1: Something like that, yeah. yeah. It was. I mean,
2: the it fact that the, the fact I had to bring a quad bike and trailer out to pick up your cartridges
1: is neither here nor
2: there. But. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I it was. Uh, I was watching the ashes uh, on my on my mobile in the corner of the hide. People are going to hate me saying that, but it was a, it was right at the end of a crucial. part. I had it on in the corner, and I just was. It was. I was loving life. You know, it was just knock over a pigeon or two, keep an eye on the cricket. I mean, what more could you want? Can, I wasn't really there for... Can
2: I, can I, just, can I just jump in on Chris here? So Chris, actually, for, the, for, those, for those of you who haven't met Chris personally, he is a uh, very well-turned-out chap who, 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 come, who comes across very well. And when Chris turned up in the morning uh, in his suede Gucci loafers, tight, tight, tight chinos, some sort of weird, soft-fabriced, tight camo top, and a Purdy waistcoat. I thought, we've got a right one here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and off we and off went. I mean, I actually thought I was going to have to wheel a drinks trolley out to you at one point and give you a foot massage.
1: <laughs> you see, we, we're getting onto it, aren't we? But, uh, yeah, that, that was my, uh, my Harkila camo blended with a bit of tweed on top. You know, I just like to sort of, you know, keep, keep all the various forms of shooting into one, one dress. So, you are wearing uh, a dress? Well, you know, one outfit. (laughs) He's like one of these professional footballers that, you know, goes
2: into battle and finishes battle and not a single hair is out of place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the abuse, Tom. No problem. Um, So, actually, it reminds me, that day, um, I was going to ask you about kit. Uh, and you've kind of alluded, you've alluded to it already. I remember that day, actually. It was the first time I used one of those idle back chairs, which I have to say are epic. Yeah. Uh, that really made a difference. little swingy, swingy rotational chairs uh, to support your in your lower back and you... It, great to shoot from you barely have to stand up from them what um when it comes to kit obviously you're you're a big fan of those but what, what are the other things that you think uh a necessity what are the things that you think your first things you'd be buying and then the other things that maybe you only do if you're doing it lots and a bit of a luxury
2: okay so uh basic kit uh, let, I'll, and I'll, I'll be fairly frank about it and i don't mean to be rude but 90 percent of the kit that's made today is utter shit um it's so <laughs> uh, it, 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 it is so badly made Um, the nets are rubbish, the decoys are terrible, the hide poles are absolutely diabolical. You know, you're going to get... People get bamboozled by price. They sort of think, oh, yeah, I can get this and get... I mean, just some of it is just rubbish. When the magnets started back in the day, they were so well built, they're still kicking on, and they've had absolute abuse from myself. But the new ones, just the, 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 the kit, it's just... What you get now is just terrible. What you want to look at it's, you know, I suppose it's like buying a decent pair of shoes. You know, buy a good pair of shoes, they last a long time. Buy a bad pair, and you'll be buying a pair every year. Yeah, it's the same with pigeon kit, but yeah, you, you know, you want good nets. I mean, ex army shops, good, the good old school camo nets, but get a hold of those because these ones that you get, I mean, you'll spend most of your time tangled in them. They're just terrible nets. The high poles, you know, the bottoms break, the tops are rubbish, it's just terrible. Decoys. Yeah, I'm not one for using plastics, but the plastic decors you get these days are just horrendous. So badly made. <laughs> Does anybody want to start pinning shooting? <laughs> there's, there's not a lot out there then. So <laughs> What's left? But however, if you're willing to um, get the right kit and this is I mean, these aren't plugs at all um your shooting seat is very very important uh, it's the height of the shooting seat and the com- you know, that's if you choose to um t- my seat is just there for effectively for me to sit on um i prefer to stand and shoot uh, footwork movement etc to maximize my angles when i'm shooting but your seat's got to be comfortable well made and your knees must be below your hips okay a lot of guys i mean you see somebody sitting on an old picnic stool and you sort of think well what are you doing down there chum it's how, it's, it's how your body sets up. You want to, but it's, it's movement as well. So it's, it's slow movement up, slow movement down. You want to have plenty of control. So your seat's important. Hide poles have got to be robust. I mean, you mentioned idle back with the seats. Hide poles. Finally, um, Nick Tate, flightline decoys. He makes amazing flappers. Nick has made some proper hide poles, and they are really good hide poles. I mean, I used to make my own. I mean, they're bloody heavy, but. You know, it is what it is. If you're if you're in good conditions or windy conditions, you don't want. There's nothing worse than the hide falling down, flapping around you. If you want to brush it up with big stuff, you've got to be able to have poles that can handle it. So Nick's really come out with. I think they're called. He sent he sent me a load. They're called uh, sniper poles. They're absolutely fantastic. I actually use them for the first time on Monday. Uh, Monday just gone, first day of 2021. Nets wise, I'd always go the X army nets. Leave all the and a mixture of nets. You just you don't want the same colors. Uh, brilliant bit of kit. Wire cradles for dead birds. Fantastic. But, you know, you can make your own. A lot of the stuff you can make your own. Wire props, spikes. Uh, but be careful with your dogs when you're running your dogs over the ground. And decoys. The really good old decoys were the old flexi flexicoys. But um, enforcer decoys. I've tried those. Uh, I would have said they're probably the best plastics out there at the moment. But, you know, if, if, if you're allowed, you know, just keep a few few dead birds back, put them in freezer bags. It keeps the feathers in good order. Single freezer bags. Nothing beats a dead bird. Simple as that. With regards to mechanics, mechanics are great. Again, Nick, he does some brilliant flappers. I mean, Nick, and he won't mind me saying this, he is an absolute anorak when it comes to building flappers. He's he's constantly thinking about it, but he really has thought about it. And they're certainly worth a look at. And the magnets, uh, there's various companies. You just have to find one that suits and is one that's well-made. But I wouldn't get too worried about mechanics before you've learnt the art. If you learn how to decoy with traditional methods, that means that you've got to watch the bird, get yourself in the right, you know, all the basics of pigeon shooting, get yourself in the right place. If you can shoot a bag of pigeons with static dead birds in cradles, then you're learning how your mechanics work will only add to possibly improving a day or depending on where you are, could actually lessen a day. But learn the core basics first then worry about everything else. A magnet will not get you a hundred pigeons. What will get you a hundred pigeons is getting yourself in the right place, you know, in the right conditions over at that time of year that's what will get you to 100 pigeons not buying yourself a magnet hoping that every pigeon in the county is going to drop on top of you because it just doesn't work like that now that's
0: proper consumer advice that is I,
1: i'm feeling like there's a just a there's a continuous tone here though we you know when we we talk to uh, we talk to other guests on our podcast, and basically the art to getting good at everything is just do it loads <laughs> and i know that's i know that's nothing new but it's so frustrating to hear when you're stuck behind your desk for five days a week isn't
2: it Um a, a good friend of mind and somebody i've learned a lot from got a chap called will garfit he's um you know i hang on his every word when it comes to the pigeon job there's probably not there aren't many people alive today that shot as many as him and patrick sets um, um as a task for the st and the task was this
1: is patrick galbraith the editor by the yeah. way <laughs> um
2: he set us a task uh, myself and will that we were only allowed to go out with a gun and a bag of cartridges that was it. We had to go and find the field, find the crop, find the situation, use, you know, build natural hides, start from scratch, etc. cetera. <clears throat> and um, it, it all became, you know, basically, it was effectively a, a fun competition, but you had to go out and, and start. And sometimes some of your best days are, you literally go out with a gun and a bag of cartridges. But, you know, you know Will's, yeah, quite you know, it's fair to say that he's fairly competitive. So off we went, we, and it was on the same farm. Um, i i think will shot will shot over some failed rape and I shot over um a mustard a poorly sown mustard game crop and you know uh, knowing full well that will's a master at the a master at the game and i thought i 'm going to have to be a bit quicker so will he, you know he 's very very he 's so in tune and he he whacked a couple on the way in. And then he's, you know, I can see him dragging branches out to the middle of the field and he set himself up and I can hear him wanging away. And I'm thinking, Unk, oh, dearie me. So I thought, right, best thing to do. So I walked up, walked up a hedgerow, nobbled a couple, just a bit of uh, hazel, long hazel stick cut out of the um, out of the hedge, made a sort of, not so much angels, but floaters, natural hide. And then, and then, you know, once, once I was up and running, then obviously then the battle's on. I could hear Will popping away. And I think Will will finished on 89. I finished on a 73. We weren't a million miles from each other, but it just shows you that what you can do. You don't actually need all the kit. It's understanding the bird, going out, enjoying it, not worrying about numbers, and doing it the old school way sometimes is actually more satisfying than lugging this and that especially if you don't know how to use it
1: a lot of truth in that but i suppose you're, you are getting lucky but i think for most people it's just about being out isn't it so whether you're actually walking up a hedgerow doing what you say or putting all the effort in actually you look back on it and it's just as much fun because you're out and you're doing what you enjoy and
2: yeah i mean, if, I mean if, if, the- if, if you're gonna do it don't be lazy i mean so many guys are sort of They'll take the easy option because they can just they can drive to this spot so they'll just go there you know if if you if you want to achieve success with pigeons, throw the kitchen sink at it if it's on, you know get on with it, you know get yourself out if you put the time in you put the time in the driving around and the money into the diesel and spent the time and you've got the conditions right, don't sort of think to yourself, "No, I might go here instead because it's a bit of an effort to get over there, you know. <laughs> go, you know, actually go for it and do it properly. And if you fail, you'll learn from that. And if you don't, brilliant, stick it in the game diary and away you go.
0: So, Tom, I've got a, a question um, that might be quite difficult to answer, but can you give an idea as to roughly how many pigeons there are in the UK? I mean, obviously it fluctuates across the year, but, you know, rough figure.
2: Um, I think the last figure, I think RSPB have got it at 5.2 million pairs. I personally think, especially through the general license last year, and a few phone calls with some well-known pigeon guys, it was sort of all hands on. It was all hands on deck for that. Um, I certainly think you could double it, treble it, with regards to what we have. Wow. I mean, certainly, over the, I mean, over the last over the last five years, they've bred very well. It's a well-known fact that a pigeon can breed in every month of the year. Um, especially now, with, you know, we've had some fairly mild winters there's plenty of food source out there that allows them to um you know for their pigeon milk good habitat they'll just keep you know they they'll, they'll crack on They're they're a real survivor you know i mean just look at people's gardens i mean how many people in the suburbs have got a pair of pigeons in their garden well tally that up and you've got a few you know yeah. if, if they're bringing if they're bringing a pair off twice three times a year you know, then obviously your rural pigeons. I mean, the the, number, the numbers huge. The, num, the, the number is huge. And, and the cost.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, do you know what the effect is from a cost point of view on, on damage, crop damage? Well, I mean, I sort
2: of, I mean, there were loads of figures. I think it was 75 million on oilseed rape. That's huge. I mean, if you, if you look at it back, so a pigeon's crop is quite something. I mean, I once counted 28 acorns out of a pigeon's crop. I mean, what? Yeah, I mean, that is huge. It's like, I mean, that's, you know, when they're on the acorns, you're fighting them into wood. It's like a bulletproof vest at the front. That's why I can't kill them. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, I mean, if you look at, a, say, a, a normal mug of tea and maybe nip a bit off the top, stick a load of wheat in that. That is, a, not all the time, obviously, but that is effectively what a pigeon can consume in a day. You know, to to put a figure of I mean, it could be huge. I mean, I, I actually started to think about more what they, the damage they would cause per bird. I mean, it was quite feasible to think that a single bird could cause through a year at least a fiver's worth of damage. Add yeah, add it all up. If yeah. when, when you add it all up, when you, when you think realistically what they can consume, and you know, if depending on what what it is, I mean, things like maize beans, it'll only take one feed a day, but they could. They could have a couple of innings at it through the day. That's a lot of food.
1: Well, it just goes to show why the general licence debacle was such a big deal. It's quite clear to see, isn't it? And it's really easy to understand how people outside of the countryside don't understand why it was a big deal um, because they don't understand all the cogs in the wheel.
2: The whole thing was just, you know, for us guys, it's not, yes, we're killing pigeons, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to manage numbers in various counties, on various farms and estates that's that's what myself as a pin and shooter that's what I'm trying to do
0: that that actually leads me on to the next question that I had, which is is that population concentrated in particular parts of the country? I mean my intuition tells me that the areas of the country where the farming is mostly arable is going to have a higher population than where there's a lot of livestock. Would yeah, that be fair?
2: It is. I mean, uh, um, obviously, you know, your, your our world counties, like your Lincolnshire, Norfolk's, Hampshire's a very good county. Home counties are good. A lot of really heavily hit pigeon farms are near towns and villages just because of the breeding areas that they've got. I mean, the boards of Scotland, they have shot they can shoot some huge bags up there. I mean, it's obviously, it's livestock, but you've still got your forage crops, your forage, your forage maize, things like that. The north can get a lot at certain points. But I mean... It, I mean, all, I mean you, 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 your classic counties are your big arable counties, yeah. But then those counties, you know, depend on habitat as well. They've got to have the right breeding grounds, roosting grounds. And, and I, the other thing
0: that I wanted to ask you is, I've seen it suggested that maybe there's pigeons that migrate across from Europe in the um, in the winter, from sort of Scandinavia and so on, but I don't know if there's any truth in that or not.
2: No, I'm pleased you brought that up, George, because a few years ago i was chatting to an old boy and he was talking about farming back in the 50s 60s and it was all to do with the introduction of rape and a lot of these a lot of these conversations you have are with the old boys who are around the sort of the coastal counties and they'll always talk about now this is not i can't guarantee this as a fact I, I mean these are just conversations you have with these old countrymen who have, you know been shooting pigeons and you know, there has to be an element of truth but i had a very interesting conversation with one chap that was actually then backed up by another chap two years ago. So in this country, the aptly named wood pigeon is, you know, if the wild food source is high, that's where wood pigeons are going to be. They'll be on the acorns, okay, beech mast, ivy berries, hawthorn. You know, that, that's that's where they're going to be. If 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 this country offers them the wild food source, that's where they'll be. However, if you think about think about those vast oak forests in France, you know, we're talking. Tens of thousands of acres square of oak forests. He was saying that he would remember, and I've actually seen it in Kent, that um, you you see flocks really, really, really high up. And it's it's whether they're migrating over or whether they're actually migrating through the country, moving around the bottom of the country. But he would say that he was, as as a young boy in the 50s, he'd watch absolute droves, droves heading out over to effectively, or what he thought was Europe. When they started growing rape, it was a bit like a sudden break. They've suddenly gone, oh, we've got a winter food source. And people talk about migratory birds, and everybody presumes that it's migratory birds from Europe. However, the way that these chats are saying is that we, as the UK, we are the feeder country. We're the main, we're the, we, we are the holding country. Okay. And what's happening is that back then, when they didn't have the winter food source, that's where they were going. They'd be heading out to France... They would do the oaks in France and from France, they would then head over to the cork oaks in Spain from Spain. They would then come back, maybe dragging a few Europeans with them. So it's not migratory from them. It's from us and them coming back.
0: That's very interesting and the complete opposite to the story that
2: I'd heard. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, And, and 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 rape and rape kind of put the brakes on that. Now, interestingly, because of the cost of growing rape and the issues that now I mean, with the burning of the insecticide for flea beetle, spraying, desiccating, it's just growing rape in this country has become a huge expense and also bad weather trying to establish it. It's become a huge expense to farmers. So it's gradually happened over the last three years. I started to notice it. If we go back to where are we now? Probably it would have been winter of 2017, 18, that you started to see you weren't seeing the the, the density you weren't seeing the, the the population the winter you know the winter flocks the the density of pigeons yeah, within yeah. the country were a lot less, and it's got worse and worse, and this winter has been horrendous now add that with i mean another crop that's really kept look at our game shooting maize game strips they love maize i mean you know the food content the food quality for those pigeons is is huge, but look at the amount of game cover that has been reduced this year because of shoots deciding either to reduce days maybe not shoot maybe not put down as much cover because of the situation we were in again it's another winter food source that they've lost so even though the acorns were heavy beach was okay you've got smaller pockets of populations not big flocks so i just wonder whether i just wonder whether you know is it is it in their
0: distinctive thing they've gone no there's no oilseed rape anymore. I want France.
2: Yeah, I, I, I just want. Yeah, and they have to go and find a food source. I mean, I was speaking to the boys. were talking about you know, Lincolnshire was starting to fill up, but that stuff coming from north where they've had really bad weather, bad snow, and suddenly stuff coming down the coast. Well, what's to say that we haven't lost the bottom half of the country to France? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I've, I, there's got to be some truth in it. You know, these old boys are, they're not silly. They're not silly. And, um, I just, I just wonder whether that there is some truth in that and whether we have lost a population and whether we'll soon see come the spring, come the spring
0: drillings. Cool. So, um, I mean, that's really interesting, but I've now got a question that's very dear to my heart, which is why, is it so easy to miss a pigeon at close range? Because you're shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we shoot the other day and I didn't cover myself with glory.
2: No, no you're uh, it's, it, the, the problem with lots of people shooting is that they, everybody, if we, okay, so every, everybody worries so much about lead. Whenever you talk to anybody about any sort of shooting, it's always lead, 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 lead. Agreed? That's all I yeah. worry Okay that's like speaking to a top batsman and and sort of saying what are you worried about is I'm just I'm just all I've got to do is that ball's going fast I've got to swing at it I must launch my bat at it because that's going to improve what goes on None of it works like that you know the the bird is the priority everybody's eyes are different everybody moves a gun at a different speed lead is secondary lead happens from the bird and what you'll find is you wouldn't believe and not just pigeons how many people overcook stuff because they just they shit themselves, they panic. They panic, they forget, they just suddenly go, Oh, you know, it's a long way away. I must have to chuck my gun out there instead of just going through the process of worrying about. The bird's the priority. The bird is the priority always. Line line first. Um, you know, from that bird, you know, you feel cough, read the bird, watch what it's doing on the wing, steady everything down, lock into it nicely and lead comes off the bird. And you'll you'll be seeing that you'll be seeing that pigeon coming into the into the decoys. You'd be panicking, rushing, chucking your gun about, you know. It's just got to to steady the ship up. Nothing can fly faster than you can move a gun. It's as simple as that. You mentally have to slow it all down.
1: So do you think on close range, though, people are poking at them as well then? Because, I mean, obviously, long range is very different.
2: Uh, A a shotgun's not designed to shoot stationary targets. Um, So if
1: it's flying straight at you close, it's tricky.
2: Yeah, anything right on top of you is close. That's why people bugger you know, bugger grouse up. But they they think the closer it is, the easier it is. Well, it doesn't really work like that. So you, you've got to give yourself your eyesight, your body, your technique, your style. You know, you have to allow allow yourself to shoot it. If if you let something get on top of you, you've had it. You know, you're going to panic and chuck your gun at stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But I mean, obviously, when you came out, Chris, I had to put your decoys in quite
1: close because. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I only bother cheating at the stuff ages away because I like to test myself. I'm not there to get your numbers up. And... <laughs> Mate, there,
2: there was a reason. There was a reason that everywhere was covered with lofting poles, 25 yards away from you in those trees.
1: <laughs>
2: That's why I brought the air yeah. rifle out for you, and then you started complaining about the recoil.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a good man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talking I I want to ask you a question about um pigeon from a from a game meat point of view. Cause actually it reminded me after that day uh that that you're talking about, um we took took a load of pigeon home and um I had a couple of friends over the next day who who don't shoot uh, at all and I don't really think of eating pigeon before. Um but I cooked up a pigeon satay from the pigeon that we had that day that we shot and it went down an absolute storm and they've always said oh when are we coming back to have pigeon satay at yours and you know it's so lovely to hear that from people that you wouldn't usually associate with 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 eating that sort of meat um tell me i want to know what uh the best dishes are uh because you've obviously eaten a lot of pigeon i you, i mean you look like one as well so you must have eaten a lot uh and what what are the best dishes that you could recommend
2: my favorite and it is my favorite so for those passionate pigeon choosers you would have heard of the chap called archie Coates, and for those new into it archie was kind of like sort of the grandfather i was fortunate enough to meet him when i was very young uh he sadly died in 89 i think it was and his wife Prue, is a like a game chef she's got a really good cool cookbook but the best recipe my favorite is a pigeon kiev oh okay so it's basically just it's a pigeon breast you take it fill it with um cottage cheese uh garlic cheese whatever breadcrumbs two minutes either side on a barbecue or, you know wherever you choose to do it and that, that that has always been my favorite and and it's sort of you know because it comes from the, the archie dynasty that is yeah that
1: is, so you're slicing you're slicing a little yeah just slice, yeah, just, yeah,
2: you're, just slice, just slice a small pocket put a bit of cheese and wrap it in breadcrumbs fry it two, two minutes either side um and
1: and just, chuck it in the oven or something
2: i yeah, just flash fry you,
1: you don't even need any more than a flash fry
2: no, it gets the middle enough, does it? Two minutes, two minutes either side. Yeah, brilliant. But that—that's—that's—that's that, that's, that's definitely one of my favourite. Roy, he made my He was one of Archie's mates. He used to smoke them, and he used to thinly slice the smoked breasts and have them on toast in the morning. Uh, and funny enough, actually, it's a shame. Years ago, I used to sell a lot of pigeon breasts to um, a smokery house, and they actually they were all going out to Sweden. I oh, really? But, yeah, th- those were. Th- yeah, those would be my two standouts. But I mean, pigeon's pretty good. It's quite versatile. I mean, it's not. It's and also, it's not. It annoys me slightly that pubs and restaurants promote pigeon in the winter, as opposed to the summer. I personally th- feel that pigeon is actually better summer meat. It goes with your salads. It's very light. And also think about what mm-hmm. think about what they're eating. You know, when they're on wheat and barley and and young peas and pea shoots and you know all that goodness. You know, changes the flavour of the meat. Um, you know, they're just not on. You know green stuff or, or um, you know you can definitely bacon. taste when a pigeon's been
0: feeding on rape can't you it's got that kind of brassicary sort of iron tang to it That's yeah
2: it. it's just a bit it's just it's just not as I mean it's still good but it's just not as flavorsome as when you know you've got you you, you know you've you've had them on you know spring summer crops all the way through and I think you know the really good chefs know that um mm. the really good chefs they're very aware and the guys that I've sold, you know, they'll always sort of say, you know, what were these shot over, you know, because it, it, it does make a, you know, to those top boys, they're very aware of, of flavor and we, you know, we know how it affects all sorts of livestock. So.
1: so, um, before we, we round up with your desert Island shooting, I've got one last question to ask you and it's actually not on pigeon shooting. Now you're, you're, uh, you do a lot of tuition and fit people's guns for them and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. And um, yeah. I was, I was, I was looking at your book on Amazon. Um, what do you mean looking at it's... it? What do you mean looking at it
2: on Amazon, Chris?
1: You're you're supposed to click twenty
2: pounds, <laughs>
1: and, and, <laughs> buy multiple copies, and then they
2: put it in the post. <laughs> Weirdly, as an author, you you only make a pound a book. That's it. Really? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's 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 on the Amazon for like what is it, George? That's Eight quid? Seven pounds fifty, something like that. What do you mean seven fifty? Started at twenty, the fucking bastard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've, I've i've got four at home propping up tables
1: <laughs> okay well there's a good reason to buy it, even if you're not interested in pigeon mm. shooting i've got a question for you tom uh so obviously you pigeon shooting is you, you do a lot more than that but um uh, the reason i was looking on amazon because i wanted to be i wanted to see what people said about your book uh and i've got a uh a question for you uh it says this on amazon uh some bloke in amongst his rant uh says i fundamentally disagree with him where he tries to counter the established theory that if you can shoot well you can shoot with any weapon he implies that if a gun is not fitted to the firer you will not shoot well complete nonsense time for a reply tom um sorry go again i was worried i was worried about my
2: hooky gold there and running out i was thinking, dave can you get us a colesburg please mate
0: <laughs> By the way, that's staying in. This <laughs> cloak <laughs> um, says that you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to gun fit.
1: Yeah, so basically, yeah, God, if he, he's saying if you if you can shoot well, you can shoot with any weapon. Yeah, I completely disagree with that statement. The reason being,
2: actually, weirdly enough, the better the shot you become, the more you're used to having a you know, gun fitted, uh, balance barrel weights everything set up for you to suddenly jump out of that to go and shoot something else you're never ever going to handle it as well as you will with a gun that's actually there for you uh it's as simple as that uh but gun fit in itself gun fit only helps the top um five percent of shooters you have to be so consistent in style and technique otherwise gun fit's just like having a suit made you know and putting weight on losing weight putting weight the suit's never going to fit
1: if um He's got his, and let, he's got a whole a whole box of Carlsberg's arrived for the last five minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So
2: I mean, I mean, guys love to have a rant and a rage about stuff, but you know, I've seen the benefit. You know, and I'm lucky to have learnt from the best of the best, um, and still do on, on that front. And
1: so, if you can I invest can, money I, in a gun, go and get it fitted and do it properly. Is what you're saying?
2: Yeah, but it's you know, you've got when you're learning it's a bit of a rock and a hard place when you start so you've you've got to number one the length of the stock's got to be right because you've got to be able to shoot comfortably with it then to actually you know work on where you're going then when you come mount gun consistently your style techniques you know consistent then you can have the gun fitted if you shoot confidently and you shoot well and you are sound then get your gun fitted properly but you only have to change one minor thing and you'll change the way that gun fits or put on some weight or all sorts of things. so yeah it's 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 a, it's a really tricky one. You'll you'll get the old boys that are just bang on about. oh, well, if you can shoot, you can shoot with anything. I, I guarantee you, and I hope George probably won't mind me. Um, it, George is, as we all know, he's a phenomenal. Not this George; he's useless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is George we're um, talking about here again. Second podcast
0: in a row he's had a mention.
2: Um, you know, it's a phenomenal shot, and you know, and is you know, I don't think. For us guys, we certainly won't see another shot like him. But if you were to give George a 20 ball, he'd probably get away with it, bits and pieces. But he's never going to shoot to the best of his ability. He, you know, what he has is rigged up for him and, and that's what he shoots. Um, and it's like, and it's like that for lots of, you know, Wardy, all, all of them. You know they all, you know, it's so professional. It's like a top golf, like a top sportsman than anything. When you get to a certain point, your gun is you can't just go right, I'm going to pick this up. And not saying you can't do it, not saying you can't shoot or play that sport, but you're never going to do it to the best of your ability. And that's what,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: more fantastic consumer advice from the guns on Peg, Peg's podcast. We've sort of accidentally become quite informative, which wasn't <laughs> what we were aiming for at all. Um. <laughs> So, Tom, I think um, we've been going for a while. It's about time we wrap things up. So the way we like to do that is to ask our guests, um, if you imagine the scenario where it's your last ever day of shooting, uh, let's say it's being banned, money's no object, what are you going to go and do for your last day with a shotgun shooting live
2: game? Is that who would I take?
0: Where would you go? Who would you take? What would you do?
2: I think it would be two options, both, both pigeon related. I mean, I love my grouse, love my pheasants, love my partridges, especially, um, anything wild, love my woodcock, but shooting out of a pigeon towel up in the treetops on a windy night, you know, hopefully finishing on about 2000 would be quite nice. (laughs) Um, would certainly be, uh, the person I would take would be a loader. (laughs) <laughs> and he would... no friend and, and... no speaking Just
1: straight uh, in with
2: it. but I, I i would allow him to bring another person with him which would hopefully <laughs> be another loader <laughs> and absolutely go for it the only other option would be uh a few years 2013 it was actually weirdly enough one of the best years for wild game um I think it was the best all-round year for grouse for 35 years across the UK. And the pigeons, I had a phenomenal year on the pigeons, mooched uh, into the 20,000-plus-ish. And that game fair, uh, we discussed about comparing pigeons against grouse. It's always, you know, the blue grouse, the grey grouse, et cetera. And through that conversation, I said, look, what we do is, you know how can you compare them if they haven't been in a situation like it, which is the same? And I said, look, what we would do is, We'll turn a stubble field into a grouse mall so that we're shooting in a similar
1: situation.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I turned uh, a rape stubble field on August the 15th, never forget it, August the 15th, into a grouse mall using bell hides. We had three butts with butt sticks and we finished on 396. And we had them coming through and it was just
0: oh my phenomenal.
2: God. It was just you phenomenal you totally to shoot. driven pigeons. Oh yeah, still decoying, but we we had to utilize the wind and you know because it's just the way that they behave. So we it was basically we couldn't have birds stalling in front of us. So at all times they had to be coming through the butts, and the only way we could do that was to u- utilize the wind and the way that they fly. And so we did that in 2015. Uh, sorry, 13. And uh, yeah, I have to say that was. I mean, that really was. And you know, it's. It, I mean, you actually go. You're shooting pigeons, but you go into grouse mode and you're, mm. you know, you're a bit more aggressive and you're, um, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's another, that sounds another, um, fun.
1: so you basically actually, actually like a cu- couple of other guests we've had, you've almost had your desert Island day once upon a time. And what you really want to do is recreate it. And that's quite epic actually, that, that we can actually almost experience the pinnacle just every so often.
2: Yeah. I, I, um, I, felt, I think like,
1: it's just keeping it. I mean, there's, there's loads
2: to be achieved. I think the main thing is we keep um, keep educating correctly and pushing the field sports and supporting and see where we go and hopefully everybody else will get the opportunity to have a go uh, in, gen- in in generations to come and I'm actually weird enough more worried about that than whether I get a chance to have my desert island day <laughs> really
0: couldn't agree more Tom I, um, <laughs> you know I became a dad this time last year and the prospect of my kids not being able to enjoy what I've been able to enjoy terrifies me so i think that's a really really lovely point to wrap it up on so i'm going to say thank you very much tom for joining us chris um tell us about the next episode i mean we've told people before but
1: thank thank you so much tom and i must just say wise, wise words you finish up on there and obviously just therefore for it to everyone out there just continuing to do what you can support the organizations do what you can because we really do have to invest in the future in a big way um but look Tom, thank you once again. Uh, next time, we've got our gun dog episode uh, with the master of of the world of gundogs, Ben Randall. And he's got a bit of a, he's got something quite exciting to share with us. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so that will be up with you very soon. But um, yeah, thank you, Tom. Cheers, guys. Absolute pleasure. Good man.
0: Right. So all that remains for me to say is to thank everybody for listening. And once again, thanks to Tom for joining us. Uh, before we go, as per usual, there's a final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas, letting us know where you're listening from, all that sort of thing. Email us at pod at And if we read it out in the next episode or one after that, we'll send you some garters. Until the next episode, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.
2: Are you guys going to put some clothes on now?